Gerhardt's back. The more things change, the more they stay the same. From NJ1015.com, this is the new Jim Gerhardt Podcast. And again, Jim Gerhardt along with Bob Williams as we uh, sort of get out on our knees and peep through the keyhole into the mad, mad world going on out there. Can you believe it's the middle of November? One week to Thanksgiving. It's crazy, this weather. Mm -hmm. I do not remember ever seeing a transition as fast Mm -hmm. from hot unbearably humid, sweltering days to cold. The leaves are on the ground, and oh, we didn't get... Don't, we, don't, we don't mention had, leaves. I spent yesterday raking oh, yeah. and bagging leaves. I can hardly move today. No. <laughs> I'm doing the smart thing. I'm hiring a couple of kids from my Boy Scout troop. Come oh, really? Tomorrow yeah. With the uh, jetpack blowers, they're going to take oh, care I of got things. A, I got a friend of mine who's also a friend of yours, in a way, coming over to do mine, Ed oh. from Delran. <laughs> well, tell Ed I Ed said Ed has hi. a landscaping crew, and uh, he... Comes over and does the real uh, heavy big stuff in my yard, right? Because I've got leaves. Oh mm-hmm. God, something. Yeah. The, other, the other thing I wanted to mention: driving up this morning. This is the third week in a row. Uh, Two ninety-five. Mm-hmm. Three this morning. There were three stop downs, and you sit and you yeah. wait, and then you edge on. Right. And the uh, time from Burlington to uh, oh, where is it? I generally get off uh, Lawrenceville, mm-hmm. and it, it, it used to be eighteen, nineteen minutes. Right. Now it's up in the 30s. One day it was 67 minutes <laughs> to get there. But you brought this up before. These tie-ups. One last week there was an accident. I right. saw nothing today. I've seen nothing right. before. Traffic volume. Hey, the, so what, what, what's going to happen here? That's all they can handle. And, the, and they worry. just built 295 That's not that right. many there's, years ago. There's nothing you can do about it. The capacity has been reached. It's oversaturated. There's nowhere yeah. to build any more lanes or more highways here. It's all it's, it's a done deal. Well, think, I think it's something crazy. I think it was 287. One of the, one of the roads, they decided they're going to tear down, uh, uh, they're going to build a sound barrier right. for this neighborhood. Well, the people found out in the neighborhood, before they... Uh, put up the sound barrier, they cut down trees. And it turned out that the trees had been a much better sound barrier <laughs> than the, the one they put up walls. at a million dollars a mile. Yeah, right. Which, of course, creates a lot of jobs for mm-hmm. unions, construction yeah. people, and the like, which I guess is, is, is the whole point. Right. Uh, what's going on now? The uh, We had talked before about Bob and Corey's excellent adventure, mm-hmm. uh, our Senate. <laughs> Can't we pick them? I mean, then we had what? Uh, remember, they they took Bob Torricelli out for yeah. some reason, which is hard to remember now. Who was a good, vital, young, very effective United States senator? Uh, for some reason or other, the Democrats pulled him out mm-hmm. ju- uh, illegally before the election. Illegally before the election, and and then they come up and they 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 somehow get Granny Lautenberg mm-hmm. to come back because of the name value. Right. So here we have Granny there. And uh, I, who I think maybe uh, John Corzine at at that time I don't remember but if it was Corzine who originally was not governor he was a senator he bought a senate seat and uh, then he got bored with it <laughs> and then he said I want to be the gov decided he wanted then he decided he didn't want to be the gov we talked about that a little bit <laughs> yeah. last week but uh, I notice now that the governor and the Democratic legislature in New Jersey. Have uh, have they passed this bill? I think they did. What are they calling it? Uh, Booker's Law or something? Oh, so to allow him to run for another office. Which while was illegal. Still, he could run. Yeah. Now he can run for the Senate and the presidency at the same, same time. time. Yeah. The same legislature uh, a few years back had come up with a bill that would forbid Chris Christie from doing right. the same thing. Mm-hmm. So it simply depends. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like uh, in the, the animal farm. Yeah. All 
animals are equal, but some are more equal than right. others, get a little bit of edge. And, and now that we're past the election, all of these uh, politicians who said, oh, I'm not going to run for president. I'm going to f- serve out my mm-hmm. my full term like the senator from New York. She's now saying, oh, oh no, geez. not so fast. I think yeah. I may run for well, president. Well, the, the thing is, the Democrats did not have anybody, uh, a, a big star standing up there right yeah. now. However, now I read that uh, Mrs. Clinton has decided that she is probably going to run again. Oh, boy. Because that is her birthright God wants her to be. Uh, mm-hmm. We all know that. Yeah. Uh, but we kind of, you know, look, you know, maybe God's not looking. I'll vote for somebody else. <laughs> but <laughs> the, the thing is, the Democratic Party, although the, it seems to be they're not really too keen on the idea of her running again. Yeah. They're probably going to have to go along with it because, uh, from what I understand, the Clinton Foundation is pretty much supporting the National Democratic Committee. That's where the money is. And that's where the money is, mm-hmm. which they have very carefully gotten in by extortion, selling the office to, to, to anybody who you know had enough money. You know, with the uh, changing tide in the House, I'm a little bit surprised to hear that uh, some of the new uh, elect elected officials in Congress are not so keen about having Nancy Pelosi being the new House Speaker. I don't know how that works, but it seems pretty certain for her that she will be. Uh, but that's, that's It seems their, like there's a handful of people that well, are against it. Actually, it doesn't make any difference. Whoever they are, the number one agenda is going to be to thwart any initiative on the part of the Republicans or the president. Hmm. Uh, and again, I mentioned Ed Rendell, who, who had said a very big Democrat, is urging them this time, you know, do legislation and not endless investigations. Now I understand they've decided to do endless investigations. They're investigating. Yeah. Goes back to that 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 business that Donald Trump had made a remark uh, somewhat prurient to a reporter years ago about somehow indicating that he had. Uh, how shall we put this? Touched. Ladies, impro- uh, inappropriately. Oh, okay. Yeah. It, it's, but anyway, yeah. they're going to investigate that. They go investigate everything. Yeah. Ed, people need to listen to Ed Rendell. He's the voice of reason on that side. Well, reason doesn't get too far. You know, something very, very serious. You see what's going on in Florida now. It's a complete chaos. Mm. And uh, it turns out, it would appear that maybe what had been assumed to be the red. Uh, domination of, of the Senate is not going to be the Republicans, because as I understand it, I heard this morning with this uh, Arizona, the uh, right, Senate the candidate Democrat, being declared uh, the winner, yeah. that uh, they only hold a one vote majority right now. And they could lose that in Florida after whatever is going on. Which which originally was supposed to be, what, a, a, a six? They're supposed to be. Yeah, that's what we were told the day after seats. election. But that's melting away right now. Yeah. You know what this is proving? I think it's proving that, that uh, you know, I kind of hate to say this, uh, democracy as we know it doesn't work. And it worked for a while, but I think it gets back to Alexander Tutler, the old Scottish historian, who said that democracies can never last. A democracy can, he gave them about 150 years apiece. I think we got a little bit more than that, maybe 200. But he says a democracy can only last until the people discover they can vote themselves the lion's share of the treasury, which is what goes on, really. But it's not only that. Now people find that with all of these divisions we have, uh, ethnic, geographic, ideological, and all of those, we have become so balkanized. And so I ran across this. 
was sort of buttresses my argument. And this was by Geoffrey Chaucer, who's generally known for the Canterbury Tales. And he's generally known for the Canterbury Tales because of one or two that are kind of naughty. <laughs> I don't think people paid any attention to the others very much, even in his own day. But Chaucer really uh, was uh, a functionary in the court in England of King Richard II. Mm-hmm. And he had been sent on missions to the continent, to Europe. So he was very versed with what was going on. And there had been some notions for some form of democracy coming up even back in 1380s when this happened. But here's what Chaucer wrote. For the truth and the benefit, he's talking about government, they are better found by a few folk who are wise and full of reason rather than by a great multitude of people in which every man shouts out and prattles on about whatever he wants. And this, in a sense, is, is what we have because we have our decisions are made by those with absolutely no competence to make such decisions. By that, I mean the electorate. <laughs> right. How informed is the average person who votes? Because everybody can vote. Uh, you don't have to have any notion of what you're voting for. It's just, you know, somebody said this is in it for me. So Republic makes decisions with no eye to sound government at all, but according to whatever emotional urgings they might have at the moment and always with their own personal prejudice. You had told me that you would talk to some people whose intelligence, I assume, you accepted and admired uh, before this last election and ask if they were going to vote for Menendez? Yes. And what did they tell you? They said, uh, yeah, I'm going to vote for Menendez. I'm going to hold my nose and vote for Menendez. I said, why? Uh, the the guy betrayed the public trust. It's a character issue. He goes, yeah, but I can't give the vote to Trump if, if I vote against uh, yeah. Menendez. Well, it's uh, so what what's happening here? Well, I, I, to go ahead with Alexander Titler, once democracy falls, he, this is the famous bit about the stages of democracy. I'm not going to go through those because I'm sure you've seen them. Uh, but eventually, economically, there will be a collapse, uh, according to Titler. And at that time, democracy will always be replaced by a dictatorship. And I think this, to me, is beginning to look more and more probable. Who are the governments that are surviving the nations? And how are they doing it? And they're growing as we're coming apart. Uh, We will become so, what, sort of uh, anemic at some point or other, because of all this divisiveness. And, you know, who's running the store? We have no idea. All this stuff is going on. And yet you get Russia and China, authoritarian governments. And there is a great advantage in that. These countries will remain very strong. And you could might argue, well, yeah, because they keep the people in line. Unhappily, with our species, it seems to be necessary. Uh, For example, if they just let Saddam Hussein alone, as terrible as he was, you would save what, I think it's estimated now, what, two million lives were lost because of that that, that Gulf War, and they're still killing each other. Uh, But he had them under control, and so just, you know, do what you... And his father told him, as I understand it, the first Bush, don't go into there and and topple the, uh, the, the government because this will break down into three factions who hate each other, and they'll end up slaughtering one another. And it's exactly what happened when you get the, the dictator out. But the point is, 
a strong authoritarian government, the direction of the government is set and their agendas, and that's it. And they strongly pursue that, and it's carried out without the constant distractions, the constant wrenches being thrown into the machinery of it, and uh, mostly just for political purposes, not for purposes of governance. So uh, just briefly put, and of course you could go down and make a detailed argument for that, that in order to survive in the world today, it's going to require an authoritarian-type government. Uh, See, democracy was great up until the point at which it figures out everybody's, I got rights, (laughs) (laughs) and I got rights. And, and, or I'm a member of some group, or I belong to a group who's very bitter, and uh, we want revenge. And it's just totally balkanized. The language, look at the language, that really is the cement that holds a culture together. Yeah. Pretty much gone, and, and certainly watered down and split. So uh, I, I'm not, not very hopeful for this. When all this happens, I do not know. But it would seem to me that in order for this country to survive— uh, as a country, that somehow Hitler uh, it may move in that direction, in which there will be some kind of an internal collapse. What are the Canadians? Remember the time we had the story about the Canadians who did a survey? Uh, the Canadian uh, television networks did a survey uh, to find out why their ratings were down, and U.S. television that came into Canada was way up. And they found out officially that is because the Canadian people are fascinated by, as they said, watching a great country tear itself apart. <laughs> and so this is, not, this is not very hopeful, but I think uh, it certainly is something to think about. Oh, that's another thing. The, uh, talking about rights. My son, Christian, who varies his time, he was in the Navy for a good number of years, and he was working for a Navy contractor in Peru. Now, don't ask me what Navy contractor is doing in Peru. But uh, he also was working with a company that took guides of people in the Amazon. So anyway, it was a very interesting life. Uh, and they vary between being in Peru and, and, and in Colorado where their headquarters is. But he sent me a piece. He's a thoughtful person. And he sent me this piece done by a college professor now, I'd never heard of him, but and I don't have his name here, but you may have. But he is, and it's obvious in the beginning that he's talking to a class. It's like a, a, one of these YouTube presentations okay. you have of, of lectures or people speaking. But uh, he was talking about responsibility. And he had used them talking to his audience. And later you found out these are kids in a classroom. He didn't know that at first. Uh, he's talking about, you know, I'm, I'm tired of hearing about I got rights. How about I got responsibility? And, and it occurred to me, where is this coming from? This guy's not teaching in an American university. He would have been ridden out of town on a rail. And it turns out I was right. He's Canadian. And so he got away with it. But now my son tells me, who is a sort of a fan of his, my son tells me they're after him in Canada now. <laughs> for saying so. But it occurred to me, okay, we have a Bill of Rights, Right. Why not a bill of responsibilities? Because rights without responsibilities goes nowhere except down. And so I don't know what would be in there. You could make up a plank that uh, Congress shall make no law abridging the right of free speech. Well, again, uh, you can get into whatever the wording would be. 
but you set these up according to certain responsibilities you have as a citizen. Speaking of citizen, that doesn't work either, because in Florida there's a lawsuit the Democrats are bringing that says that they're suing the Republicans who apparently won the election because they were only they were only letting citizens vote. Well, I, I thought that yeah. that was one of the uh, what right uh, privileges of of citizenship. Right. Isn't that something to do with those provisional ballots? I mean, they're I have not... the faintest idea, but yeah. the fact that they do that. Oh, I'll tell you how bad things got. I'm prating on today. You see, I get my little one time a week to vent. <laughs> they had a, uh, the uh, uh, Memorial Day really observance in Philadelphia at the uh, Veterans Day. Well, yeah. for, oh, Veterans Day, but also it's Armistice Day. Oh, I'm, Day. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, they, they coincide, yeah. but it's the 11th of November, the 11th hour, the 11th day, the 11th month when World War I ended. And they're having an observance. I think the president was in town, and, and they were talking about uh, American service and America's contribution to World War I. But they said it was disrupted by a group who were protesting the war. What? <laughs> they're protesting World War I. I, I, uh, I don't know. Well, as uh, Buck Murphy, my old chemistry professor in college, used to say when it came to a sticky question he couldn't answer, I didn't make the world, I just live in it. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm Jim Gerhardt. Again, I'd like to tell you something about Robert Dukansky of REMAX First Advantage. Now, Rob guarantees to sell your home at a price and a deadline you agree to or he will buy it. And there's no risk to you because he'll let you out of that contract anytime. Now, just imagine this. The stress of going through a wedding, moving to a new house, having a whole change of life, still not being able to sell the house, then deal with two mortgages at the same time. That's what a lady named Marina of North Plainfield was going through. Just married, just moved, her old house was on the market six months with another agent, no activity. So what do you do? Well, you talk to Rob Dukansky. Rob sat down with Marina, came up with a marketing plan, matched the home with his database of buyers, and bam, over 100 showings. So call the official real estate agent of 101.5, and the only agent I would think of calling if I needed to sell my home, Rob Dukansky, 855-350-1015, 855-350-1015, or online at robsellsnj.com. Talk to Rob and start packing. Bob, I think I should make some mention of the Carton story. Uh, my old yeah. nemesis, or at least he chose to be my nemesis back when he worked yeah. here. Craig was uh, convicted last week. Craig Carton yeah. uh, on uh, those uh, ga- those gambling and uh, it was a fraud laundry charges. list of, yeah. of, of uh, what economic stock uh, frauds uh, and all that financial stuff, yeah. crimes. Took the jury no time, really, which indicates they've had a pretty strong case there. Uh, I had done a piece when he was first charged, and it got a lot of attention. I noticed that every time his story would come up some all across the country, they were playing that piece that we did, yeah. telling about how he was here. And my uh, argument, or not argument, it was, I think, an obvious statement for anybody who worked here. This guy was a cancer on the radio station when he worked here. He would behave as such a megamaniacal faction. I am it. And he insisted that he was he had made the radio station, even though he got here after the station was a giant, hmm. and that anybody else, everybody else here had to ride second something. And I think I'd mentioned before, Eric Johnson, who was a, a gentleman, excellent program director for years here, and he's the one who hired this guy, right. in spite of the fact that there were questions about it. He would sit him down in a chair and yell and scream at him like he was like uh, like Eric was a dog. 
because somebody else like Dennis or Judy had gotten a little bit of promotion. I don't mean, I, I, I mean, but publicity. Attention, yeah. Attention yeah. Uh, in, a, in an ad or something of the sort. Um, every day he came up with a new one demeaning me. Why? I don't know. Never met him. I wouldn't be able to pick him out in a lineup. Uh, but for some reason, he chose that. And some of the reasons become pretty obvious. There's an, uh, an interview he did with the Star-Ledger, if anybody wanted to look that up. This would have been, what, 2000? Where did he leave here? 2006, 2007, seven, yeah. If you could look that up. And in this article, which was supposed to be about him, he had to throw in a dig at me. All right, Gerhardt's a laugh. It had nothing to do with anything. And the reporter called me and said, boy, this guy, do uh, you want to say something back? He's really knocking you. And it wasn't even, yeah. you know, in, in the deal. Uh, yes. Yeah, well, no, I, I just want to stay the hell out of it. But uh, so I never really fired or said anything back. But it, it was a very bad situation. And you remember, Bob, I mean, how people were treated and the things that he did. Right. And the odd thing is he thought he was running the station and uh, that uh, we were all existing simply because of his enormous talent. His ratings weren't as good as Jeff and Bill, Deminsky and Doyle's had been, who Pre- left previous. because he got the job. They left and went to Detroit. for. Now they're back, of yeah. course. Uh, the morning ratings were much better. And in his mind, though, so I, I think I kind of over the years mellowed a little bit because I think he had got some problems up there. Uh, and I think this is a person who does not see the world the way the rest of us do. He is at the center of the universe. Everything else is a stage prop. But I think it's a mindset that I don't think he can help. No, he had the world. He had the world at his fingertips. He had. Uh, and he had to, was working at a New York radio station, yeah. number one morning show over there. Yeah. Beautiful family, beautiful uh, life, and yeah. and look what's happened to him. So I, you know, I, I the, the way I found out about it, I got an email from a person who had been very big in the uh, political scene for years in New Jersey, and the email simply said, uh, "Emma, let's see, am I right?" over smiling about this, or to that effect. And I had to find out, but they also had sent me a link to the story that he had been convicted. Well, I had a very ambivalent reaction at first, but I think maybe I, over the years, had mellowed a little bit, because I never had a chance to hit back. And he did awful things. I've told this story before. I was uh, at a market shopping, and we were on television, uh, the morning show was on television. He wasn't. The morning show was on television at the time. And so people would recognize me. And a lady came in, and I was in the checkout line, and she said, do you know what they're saying about you on the radio? And I said, no, why? And she says, well, you better go listen. This is pretty awful. And he had come on with something that I had demeaned and damned and, and was trashing ladies with breast cancer. Now, how you come up with something like that, I don't know. I mean, it would take a mind that I would say is a bit, uh, <laughs> uh, well, you figure that one out. Yeah. But I think now my, my response to it is, I, I think there's a Buddhist saying that to hold anger against a person is like picking up a hot coal and throwing it at him. Guess who gets burned? Right. <laughs> and there was a Zen master who said, 
Harboring intense anger against someone is like committing suicide and expecting the other guy to die. <laughs> I thought that was so. I, I really, I, I, I just don't have any feelings about it anymore. I, I don't think he's got, they talk about forty-five years. I doubt if he'd do any jail time. It, uh, oh, uh, it, 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 he probably is going to face something. Well, I not, think not it's, I think it's going to be a lot lighter than that because yeah. it is a nonviolent crime, and it is, and he can. As a, a reporter for one of the New York papers was writing about it, and he said, the, unfortunately, in the court, he couldn't use his most valuable weapon, his biggest weapon, which was his mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he had to sit there and be quiet. But somehow he'll talk his way out of it. And, and in his mind, I don't think this is guile of any kind or other. He just thinks, I am it. I'm the light of the noonday sun. When I roar in anger, lions tremble in their dens. And so he spends a life really demeaning people, trashing people. So you have to figure what kind of a person would do that. Well, I think uh, there's probably some scared little kid down there inside somewhere or other. Mm. (laughs) Or else you wouldn't have to be master of the universe. Anyway, again, because people ask, okay, you were were the butt of most of his his, his venom here. Uh, Mary Walters, who did a very good show at night. For some reason, he had picked us out. But... uh, that's i guess we'll see what the next chapter is so uh but right now now it was hard to repress a bit of a smile because i think we all think of the old cliche revenge is sweet but he did that to himself i didn't do it i had no part of it at all i do remember uh, that uh, judy franco dear judy one day uh, she had come in to start her show which followed mine I got off the air, and Judy came in and made me the happiest man in the world. She said, Carton's leaving. <laughs> and so we're leaving that subject right now, too. I, uh, I don't know about the time. Uh, Bill Doyle, speaking of Dominsky and Doyle, Bill had a very nice piece about uh, an historic event 15 years ago today. And that was the day that the state uh, took the tigers away from Joan Marizak, the oh, tiger lady the of tiger Jackson. Preserve over the tiger preserve. This is the day they raided it and took oh. the tigers, our 15th anniversary. And I wanted to get into that a little bit. Maybe we'll save this for another time um, because well, I had a very close relationship with uh, Jan and, and, and Joan. You know, I thought of this, uh, the Guinness Book of World Records, has and they used to have, and I don't know if they still do or not. I haven't seen a book lately. A picture of the uh, the largest tiger ever recorded, and it's a picture of Joan when she was with Ringling Brothers sitting on Raja, mm-hmm. who was this tiger the size of a uh, of a hippopotamus, <laughs> and and Joan's a very petite lady, and she's sitting on sit riding it, and and it's a great shot. It's such a long story, but it it was a tragic story and. Bob, as I'm sure you know, the probably the biggest frustration of doing this kind of program is that people assume you can help them, and in many cases you can't. And we right. tried to help Joan so and many, came, so much, and so the intensely. Poor woman called and called. She and called was... and called, and she called me at home. You know, every night in tears. And my God, you know, what do you do? I I, I found myself getting extremely depressed. I couldn't do anything. Uh, because the the die had been cast there, and I can understand the state's point of view. Uh, when Joan moved to Jackson 26 years ago, 
it was wilderness. That's why they moved there. That's why they set up the tiger comp- uh, compound. And all of a sudden, this is a community that just booms. Right. And there's people all over the place. But even, and a tiger got loose one night. And they never proved whose tiger it was. I thought it was kind of amusing in a way. There was a tiger loose in Jackson. Authorities were called in. The uh, wildlife people from the Department of Environmental Protection were there, and they were going to tranquilize the tiger. And so they kept shooting, and they missed every time. They tranquilized a whole bunch of trees, (laughs) but they couldn't hit the tiger. Finally, they got to do what somebody, what they really wanted to do was kill the tiger, shoot the tiger. And so it's very near great adventure. And so they, uh, the first instinct was to say one of the great adventures tigers got loose. They said, no, it's not. And then somebody said, hey, there's a lady about a mile or so away. She has tigers. Well, what? Nobody knew she had 26 tigers back there in a compound right off Route 537, right, right near where the, uh, the, uh, what is it, the shopping right, outlet the, stores right. are, just a little bit the beyond that. The outlet centers, yeah. Uh, she not only had 26 tigers, she had about an equal number of Anatolian sheepdogs, which apparently the only dogs tigers are afraid of. <laughs> and it was quite a, quite a compound there. So we went down. Annette uh, Petriccioni, who's a very good news director here at the radio station now, uh, went down with, with her and some news people and uh, got acquainted just to see what was going on. And I'd go back, and it was fascinating, the, the whole thing. But anyway... Uh, the state, after long, long time and fights, and Joan tried to do everything. They harassed her unmercifully. Uh, they came finally and said they confiscated the tigers. They took them, and they took the tigers, and they loaded them into trucks, and they were setting them off to some wild animal refuge in the south. I don't know if it's Texas, Alabama. Now, tigers do not travel well in trucks, so a great number of them died on the trip. The rest of them eventually died because of neglect and abuse once they got there. <laughs> and Tragic, the, and, the, and they, they were doing this to Joan because they said, well, you're abusing these tigers. Right. I mean, no, I, because there's so many of them here. Do we ever figure out what they did with that land? Did she sell the property? Oh, no, 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 no. They're or? still there. But here was, here's the rest of the story. The state decided to get a lien on her property to pay for the expense of moving the tigers. So it's like the Chinese. When you're executed, they make the victim's family pay for the bullet. And so this is a very similar situation. She had to pay for that. And the court, it went on and on and on. And I heard from Joan not terribly long ago. And again, it was so sad. I don't know what to do. Because that was the day they were coming to throw her off the property. The state had had gotten the property by default because she hadn't made the $100,000 payment. Well, they had no way of getting $100,000. The tigers were fed and cared for by local people, largely with roadkill. And every time we went down to visit and people who would visit there, you're asked, you know, bring a chicken mm-hmm. or, you know, bring a turkey or something to help feed them. But, but it, it was a very sad story. and There's much more to be said, but it did bring back some, some pretty bad memories. I, I got a call one time from a uh, television production company in England, and they were doing a program which later ran on Animal Planet. I forget what it was called, but uh, they would call me and I would try to give them information about it. And then they came over to film. They were doing a program. So I got called down the freehold. They had a room and they had the camera set up. And they did a, an extensive kind of an hour interview with them about that for this television show. And also I had told them about Joan's attorney at the time. So they found him 
And he, he did a piece, too, a different time. Well, when it ran, what I didn't realize that the whole point of this show was doing a hatchet job on what they called animal hoarders. And they asked me if I thought Joan was an animal hoarder. I'd never heard the term before. I said, well, no. The upshot of it was, by me defending Joan and her having the tigers, I got about 30 seconds of TV time in that show. <laughs> the lawyer, who apparently won the outs with her, he went on and on and on. But that's what they wanted. And I didn't do it. I didn't realize that. Uh, but the, the, the thing was that it's almost like something out of a, a book or a show of some kind. Joan felt that the tiger was going to become an extinct species because of uh, what's happening in, in Asia and Africa. Their, their, their numbers are drastically cut down. And so what happened when all of these tigers became extinct, she would, like Noah with the ark, hey, guess what? We have saved the species. And her tigers were having young. The first tigers I saw were absolutely beautiful. They were about the size of Great Danes, you know, except a lot thicker. Yeah. And uh, But anyway, you get into a bit more of that later because it was a very, very interesting story. But it's, very, it's a very sad story the way it turned out. Hmm. You ever get peed on by a tiger, Bob? I uh, can't say I have, Jim. Okay. <laughs> I just thought I'd ask. Well, you know, tiger husbandry, not being one of the disciplines I have mastered, <laughs> I didn't realize that if you get close, this tiger, big, beautiful male tiger, he comes around to the cage like a cat. He's rubbing like he's scratching himself. That's not what he had in mind. And all of a sudden, he'll whirl around and spray like tomcats oh, like do. A, like a territorial thing? It's a territorial thing. And I and others have, off, not often, but occasionally been the territory. <laughs> Listen, there's so much to talk about and so little time to do it, but uh, have yourself a, a great week. Try, uh, I guess as Bob had mentioned, the voters said they were going to hold their nose and vote for uh, SpongeBob Square, or uh, Bob SquarePants. Uh, and uh, just, if you hear the news, Hold your nose. <laughs> Hang on next week. Right. We'll, we'll, we'll try to turn some of the rocks over again, see what's squirming around under there. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the new Jim Gerhardt Podcast. Still cooking, and it's bigger than ever. From NJ1015.com.